Welcome to The Family Room, sponsored by Versprite, where we offer hope, encouragement, and wisdom centered on biblical truth and Catholic teaching, because God's kingdom begins at home. Now welcome your hosts, Mari, John, and Craig, right here on AM 1160, The Quest, your Atlanta Catholic Radio. Welcome into the family room. We are so glad you are joining us. As you just heard, we are here. I'm Mari, and I'm with my co-hosts, John and Craig. Hey, guys. Hello, hello. So today we've got a really interesting show. As Craig just said, it feels almost like two shows wrapped up into one. But we're going to be talking to a guest today who um, fell away from the faith as a young person. God drew him back into the faith in a pretty dramatic manner. The Holy Spirit was so incredible in that journey. And he has been now led by the Holy Spirit to help us in ways that all of us are being drawn away from God, which is because of technology and our cell phones these days. Yeah. So either one of you guys have a quick thought about either of those topics? I would say it is a solid message of hope on both fronts, faith for your children and the craziness of technology um, in our world today. Amazing what the Holy Spirit can do when you let him. Yeah. So we are so excited to um, have you all hear from our guest and hear the amazing message that he has to share with us. But as we always start in the family room, and we will start again this morning, we'd like to start with prayer. So, John, would you please open us up in prayer? Absolutely. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you today just with a sense of praise and awe and gratitude for the incredible guests that you give us for the incredible gifts that sometimes we just look right over. We ask you during this time to block out all those things that are distractions, all those things that will keep us from hearing what you would have us hear, seeing what you'd have us see. And we just ask you to pour out your spirit on this endeavor so that our guests, our our listeners, and ourselves will be will be open to, docile to the work of your Holy Spirit in this time that we have together. Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name, through the intercession of Mary. Amen. 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 Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. 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 Well, now that we kind of introduced him, we're going to welcome in Andrew Laubacher into the show here momentarily. Some of you may know him because he's um, done worship and praise music at Steubenville and different places. Um, so he's a worship leader. He's also a uh, Franciscan University graduate, and currently he's executive director of the Humanality I'll call it Humanality Project, which ties into our cell phone conversation. Mm -hmm. So without going down the long list of his accomplishments, uh, Andrew, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Glad you're here. So, Andrew, one of the things that we often ask our guests is we ask them about their faith journey because it just gives encouragement to people to hear what that's all about. And a lot of times as Catholics, we don't talk about what our faith journey has been, but you do have an amazingly compelling one. And I think especially for many listeners um, who have high schoolers or who have young adults, I think your your faith journey is also a beautiful story of hope. So we would love for you to break that open for us and take as much time as you'd love to, because it's, it is an amazingly compelling story. Would you share that with us? Yeah, totally. Thank you um, again for having me here. And yeah, my story starts um, in Ventura, California. So that's where I was born. I grew up it's a little beach town about an hour north of L.A., um, and I have two amazing parents, well, one older sister. Uh, I had a really great upbringing. Um, you know, my dad uh, worked for Toyota, you know, for like 40 years. My mother's a professional ballerina. 
wow. um, and taught ballet. And yeah, I had a really, really amazing childhood. I mean, I grew up playing music. I started surfing, played a lot of different sports. Um, and, you know, and our faith was involved in, in all of this. We went to mass. We went to um, retreats with the Sacred Heart Sisters in Big Bear every summer. Mm. Um, I mean, we, my mother was very involved, you know, in church and, yeah, so I had an incredible upbringing. And then in high school, uh, my sister went to the private school in the area, and I wanted to go to the public school because I was tired of the private school rules and uniforms <laughs> and free dress that was 50 cents. You know what I mean? Like, what's up with that? <laughs> and um, I wanted, uh, you know, this perceived freedom of the public school. And I was really good at basketball, even though I'm, you know, like as tall as Tom Cruise, I'm five seven. So no one told me that I wasn't gonna have a basketball career. I, was, I really love Pistol Pete Maravich. Right, right. Uh, yeah. But um, more anyway, like Nate Archibald, was, but you know that's okay. Muggsy Bogues. <laughs> yeah. Spud, yeah, there's some good guys. Spud Webb. Spud Webb. But, uh, Spud yes. Um, but anyway, I wanted to play sports and I wanted to be in a band and they had a surf team, you know, which I don't think there's a surf team in Atlanta, but um, <laughs> I wanted to do all those things. And um, I just, uh, yeah, it was a very sheltered kind of upbringing. And then my freshman year of high school um, on my basketball team, that was the group of friends I surrounded myself with. And as St. Paul said uh, in the scriptures, that bad company corrupts good morals. And I'd say at the age of 14, I started to get exposed to all of these um, things I didn't really know about, like drugs and alcohol and sex and pornography. And um, I just wasn't really prepared to enter into that world, you know. So I was very attracted to fitting in, which is kind of all part of our stories even today that doesn't really end at any point in our lives. But uh, I really wanted to fit in. I didn't want to be different, and I didn't want to be that, like, weird religious kid. You know? so, <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, I kind of slowly started doing those things. You know, and it's like my parents didn't know. I was hiding it. Started going to the parties, started smoking, started drinking. You know, my friends are all secular. There's no Christian people I, I know that are Catholic or Christian that were in my friend group. So um, it was pretty full-on, like, partying you know, right there freshman year. And I really started to immerse myself in that world while at the same time I was going to youth group every <laughs> weekend. I had confirmation classes and, you know, I wasn't attracted to the liturgy. I didn't enjoy mass, you know, it was boring to me and like the parties and the hooking up and these attractions, you know, to the flesh were way more enticing to me. So I, I was living that, you know, kind of double life and got confirmed. It was like, you know, cool. I had a party and I'm done with these classes. Like, that's great. You know, it was, it was no spiritual importance to me. Um, and I just kind of continued down that path of, of living for the world and living for the next party and fitting in and, you know, listening to the right music. And I was, playing in bands and I'm, I was playing sports and every part of my friend group, um, you know, I was in the most popular crowd, you know, and everyone was partying. I mean, it was all about living it up, you know, every weekend. And, um, you know, so I started to get caught at home for, you know, for partying and other things. And, uh, you know, my parents definitely, I think, recognized that I was, yeah, not engaging at all, you know, with my faith. And my mother tells me this all the time and I share this, 
in my story a lot, but apparently I told her one time that, uh, and I kind of remember it, but I was <laughs> just sharing with her, I think the Catholic Church is trying to brainwash people. Like, <laughs> I was immersed in secularism, right? Like, yeah. science is just proven God. Uh, there's no God. There's no, you know, reason to live out any any faith in an age where we've essentially, like Nietzsche said, you know, killed God. God is dead. Um, so, yeah, I was immersed in that world by senior year. Uh, you know, I was, I claimed to be probably atheist agnostic. Um, you know, was partying every weekend, like just angry, um, had a lot of anxiety growing up, like since 11 years old, started having anxiety attacks and really blamed God for that mental suffering, you know, like mm-hmm. it really limited me. Uh, so there's definitely a lot of anger there. Um, I didn't really like my body and, um, yeah, there's just a long list of, I think things that were making me very unhappy, but on the outside, I looked like I was having a good time, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, so I was just planning to go to community college to study music theory and just keep rocking and rolling. And, you know, I was in an impure relationship in my senior year and um, had no desire to, one, go to Franciscan. Uh, <laughs> two, you know, I was I was not engaged in any, any of my faith. So um, graduated from high school, started to, um, you know, hit the parties for the summer and ended up getting caught by the cops. And, you know, I'm in the back of this cop car and in that moment, very much reflecting on the reality. Is this what I want to experience again the rest of my life? Like, is this what this life is going to get me? And, you know, it was minimal. It was, you know, I had to pay as a misdemeanor and like how to go to court. And in that kind of experience, obviously my parents find out like utter disappointment, you know, like I've been hiding all this stuff. I'm playing video games at my friend's house on a weekend. Mm. You know, it's like. We weren't playing video games. Uh, maybe we were playing little, you know, video games, but we were doing other things, you know. So <laughs> yeah. um, once I went to that, uh, you know, courthouse, I, I knew I didn't want that life. And then um, got invited to go to another Steubenville Youth Conference. So for those of you who don't know, Franciscan University, Steubenville, Ohio, has like 25 youth conferences around the country. Yep. I went to like two or three of them prior in San Diego would have these encounters in adoration and then go back home to the same crowd and would fall back into the same sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, this time was different. You know, I was really anxious, depressed. All my friends left me because I weren't partying with them anymore. Well, and you have and a great then, phrase from Aristotle that you, you describe what that, those friendships were like. I think it's a really good one. What did you say? Those, they were friendships of, um, well, they were based, uh, I think Jack is maybe talking about that. They're, they're based on, um, I mean, very superficial things, essentially. Right. So, like what you guys did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wasn't rooted in any like values deeper than like, you know, very surface level like. Mm-hmm. You know, like we liked sports or we liked this. I mean, they they weren't soul friendships. You know, they were actually bringing me closer to God. Obviously, no one was really yeah. <laughs> pursuing God at all. So, um, or things that they maybe perceived. You know, I think we all are pursuing God. Which, uh, looking for him sometimes in the wrong places. But anyway, so at that retreat, you know, I resentfully went and, uh, you know, had this encounter in adoration where, you know, every talk, even in mass, like the worship, I just got hit with the gospel, like the really simple reality of God's love. And I was a sinner and I was your average partier, right? Like it wasn't like I was doing like meth and cocaine and ecstasy, you know, it was like, I was kind of your average kid who didn't think I was that bad. I wasn't killing anybody. You know, that was mm-hmm. kind of what we would say. 
and um, like, oh, maybe I'll change, you know, later down the road. And, uh, you know, but for whatever reason on that retreat um, in adoration, just had this, uh, you know, experience of peace and love that just transformed my life, you know, went to, went to confession and repented of all, you know, the sins I've done. And um, I just came back a different person, you know, so mm-hmm. started going to mass and started like, I took out all the bad music and started listening to praise and worship. And, um, you know, I was already playing in my band at church, but like I started singing and I remember even at that conference, this phrase on my heart that was, Lord, I want to sing for you. And at the time, I had no skill singing. Like, I sounded horrible singing, you know? <laughs> uh, so it was a weird thing. And I was like, Lord, I want to sing for you, you know? And, but I just started uh, diving into the scriptures. I started diving into, um, you know, apologetics. I got really fascinated with truth. Like, I wanted to know mm-hmm. if this was all true, because I just don't like being lied to, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And I started consuming a lot of content with Christians and atheists and agnostics and, you know, theologians and philosophers and, um, you know, man, so many ups and downs, you know, I was going to community college, living at home, obviously living a very different life in, in my city that, you know, I was doing one thing one weekend and then I came back completely new. So friends are like, dude, what's wrong with you? You know, uh, why are you acting so different? You know? So friends, if you're, just joining us, we're in the family room, and we're talking to Andrew Laubacher, a lob, about uh, his faith journey. It's fascinating, and I apologize for jumping in, and now we're back to Andrew. <laughs> so you're back from the conference, and your friends are like, oh my gosh, who are you, a lob? We don't even recognize you anymore. Yeah, I mean, I just started um, to make some real changes, you know, and at the same time, like, all of a sudden realizing, whoa, I can't, like... You know, I mean, I stopped smoking and drinking the night I, you know, got caught. So that stopped. But, you know, uh, you know, hooking up and things like that was like, oh, wait, like this isn't right anymore. And it was like instead of like, you know, like obviously guys, you know, it was all about the hookup and what you can do with the girl and all those things. And like that was all that was spoken about. And then this time it was like, oh, wait, no, that was that was wrong. I need to go to confession, like there was this transformation happening that like, obviously it was the Holy Spirit convicting me of sin, you know? Right. But, um, I started leading music at my parish, my youth minister, you know, left and I was singing in front of 800 people every weekend, like oh, wow. having panic attacks. Cause I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and, um, you know, that was, uh, for me, something that started just by myself in adoration. I started spending a lot of time in adoration and, uh, just started singing, you know, and, so that was happening. I'm studying theology and philosophy and I'm like, man, I just, I want to study this stuff like more. And they're like, there's a degree you can go get called a theology degree. <laughs> and I was like, this sounds great. And, you know, God slowly started bringing me to the idea that Franciscan might be that place for me. So as a Southern California kid, you know, one, I don't even know what seasons are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Two, there's this thing called winter there. Yeah. And three, like you have to get on a plane and fly there. And I had like horrible flying anxiety due to my anxiety, you know, disorder. So it was like all these things that were like, yeah, that's a no-go. Yeah, it's and not like I winter just, in Aspen. Well, I was going to say, it's not like Denver or any of those kind of places, right? <laughs> so no. Franciscan Universal is wonderful and it's in Steubenville, Ohio. So yeah, yeah. The buckle right. of the rust belt. That's what it is. Okay, yep. Yep. there you go. Mm-hmm. So long story short, God 
convinced me that that was where I was supposed to go and got three other friends with me to go because I was afraid I was going to go by myself. All three of those guys were all miracles in my youth group. We got in a car and drove from Ventura, California, all the way to Steubenville, Ohio. Holy smokes. And um, my time at Franciscan was absolutely transforming. I'd say there, one, it was like 2,500 students that were my age that all loved God. Uh, they were like cool people. Like, you know, there's obviously uh, strange people everywhere. Sometimes uh, the religious world, there's just kind of some odd ducks around, you know. <laughs> I, I, I can't relate with them all the time. But when I went to Franciscan, I was like, oh, my gosh, these are cool, fun, normal people, like wanting to radically serve God um, in many different facets of life. And so, you know, I, I really had an incredible experience at Franciscan and encountered God, the Holy Spirit there in a pretty radical way. Um, I'm kind of curious though. How does an angry senior in high school who was not following his faith make a decision to go to Steubenville for a conference when it was the antithesis of everything that you were thinking and believing I mean, did somebody put a rope around your neck and drag you behind the car, or uh, yeah, he drove? No, no, that, this was Stupidville Conference oh, in San okay. Diego. In San oh. Diego, yeah, yeah. Yeah, actually, the one I went to where my conversion was in Arizona, which oh. was a fourteen-hour bus ride, and I'm oh. pretty sure like our AC broke down in like 115 weather. <laughs> That's nice. Uh, so it was it was an interesting experience, but I think it was not an option. My mother and father were like, "You're going on this retreat, and I'm mm. living under you know their roof." So I was like, "Okay, I'm I'm going to go." What I love uh, about that is they stood up for the faith, stood up for what was right in their rightful place that God gave them, but you were still obedient. I mean, look, you could have gotten on a bus and jummed off at, you know, a local crossroads and pretended like you went. For for sure. Yeah. And I think that was, you know, obviously I've been sharing my story around the world over the last, whatever, 10 years. And a lot of parents come up to me, a lot of moms. uh, I mean, so many kids my age have left the church at 33 at 24 or 26. I mean, every stage of my life when I share my story, I mean, the data is obviously pretty clear. There's more and more people ages 18 to 35 leaving the church. Probably 75% of my population from at least Pew Research, their, their latest uh, data is like, there's a lot of people leaving the church, you know? So um, I always encourage parents that like, for me, my parents were just there to accept me when I screwed up. Mm-hmm. You know, they really were there um, and and it kind of accepted me back, and and obviously you know now are extremely proud of you know what I've done you know with my life and what I'm doing. And uh, but that was a pretty key, um, I'd say, exercise of mercy on their part. Uh, that I, I I know it's hard for so many parents watching their kids move away, living with their boyfriend girlfriend, not living at the faith. Um, but your prayers and your love. Um, even when you're hoping that it's this quick change thing, um, usually it takes a while, and God's timing is not ours, and that's mm-hmm. not always what we want to hear in an mm-hmm. instant gratification culture where you can press a button and get picked up and go any of the world and press a button and get food delivered to your door. I mean, we think God works like Instacart, you know, mm-hmm. and sadly, <laughs> uh, sadly he's not. But, um, yeah, so at Franciscan, that was just a transforming Holy Spirit experience. I mean, I began to see the charisms, healings, people, you know, praying in the spirit. And um, that's where I really encountered uh, the supernatural, uh, which, you know, growing up Catholic, most people don't see. Uh, So for me, that was pretty life changing. 
Yeah, and we'd love for you to talk about that a little bit because we talk about the Holy Spirit on this show. I think actually even one of our most recent shows, we talked about the Holy Spirit. And a lot of Catholics, to your point, we weren't necessarily raised talking about the Holy Spirit. I actually was just in a meeting earlier today where somebody said, she said, I think the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we're seeing this year, because we're seeing more and more outpouring of the Holy Spirit, is because of the Eucharistic revival that's going on and a mm. lot of the prayers and a lot of the focus on um, the Eucharist. And I thought, oh, that's so beautiful how fruitful that has become. But you had some really profound encounters, so much so that you're actually on Father Dave Pavanka's Wild Goose series. So a lot of our listeners may be familiar with you um, through uh, your testimony on Dave Pavanka's, Father Father Pavanka's uh, Wild Goose series. So would you talk to us a little bit about the Holy Spirit and, and your experience? Yeah, um, I'd say my initial experience at Franciscan, I mean, we were doing praise and worship at my church, and there was... There's, you know, obviously I'd see that at student conferences, but, you know, your day-to-day, there obviously wasn't people, um, you know, who were, I'd say, probably catechized in the reality that God can use us to do supernatural things. Like, mm-hmm. that just wasn't, um, you know, something we were taught. So uh, I began to, you know, go to these prayer meetings and see people get prayed over on crutches, on, you know, walkers and walk out healed or, you know, Crohn's disease, Lyme disease, like start just hear prayer actually having efficacy, like in a real tangible way. So I started reading Father Michael Scanlon's book, which I recommend everyone should read, called Let the Fire Fall. And it really just shares his story. Yeah, I mean, it's it's good to look into this guy, because if you can turn 1968, you know, biggest party university in the country, into one of the most amazing schools of evangelization in the world, I mean... There was a shifting point in his life, and he, you know, really attributed it to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I read that book in like four hours. I couldn't put it down. I probably should have been doing homework. <laughs> but I was uh, reading that, and I wanted this thing, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, you know, where like it was this renewal, this awakening, this intoxication that I see the saints talking about. I, I'd see, like, I fell in love with Padre Pio pretty early on. I mean, we're talking about a contemplative that was operating in radical gifts of the Holy Spirit, and he had no praise and worship, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He was just living his life in the Holy Spirit, and, like, I wanted to bilocate. Like, that sounded like a good time, you know? So, um, no I more FOMO. Really, yeah, no more FOMO. We'll get to that with the cell phones later. <laughs> But uh, I was really fascinated with Padre Pio, and so when I read his book, I was like, man, I want this Holy Spirit thing. Uh, you know, John the Baptist said, I baptize with water. The one after will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. Um, I was reading in Mark 16, like, these signs will accompany those who believe. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. They will speak in new tongues. They will drink of deadly poison and not be harmed. I started reading the Acts of the Apostles and seeing Peter's shadow heal people, St. Paul touching a piece of cloth and healing people, and... At this point, I'm pretty obsessed with apologetics and I'm studying the intellectual life in a very rigorous way that I'd say most 20-year-olds weren't doing. Uh, And I realized I could argue with people forever on anthropology, on cosmological arguments for the existence of God, from philosophy, from like all these different archaeological findings, from, you know, uh, to confirm that the biblical narrative is true and blah, blah, blah. I realized that the Holy Spirit in one second... (laughs) can say so much more than I can say. And this, is not, and this is not to neglect the need. And I say the, um, 
the renewal that we need in the Catholic world uh, to really renew our engagement in the intellectual life. I'd say so many people my age and so many young people are really hurting for answers to questions I think we have really solid evidence for. Um, anyway, that's a side note. But, yeah, so I, I went to um, a prayer meeting that night after I read the book, and I was like, okay, I'm praying for this, like Holy Spirit baptism, and, you know, I'm in this prayer meeting Saturday night. It's an odd school, right, on Saturday night. Like, we had a random prayer meeting where, like, 60 kids show up to praise the Lord. You know, I get that's not every university. <laughs> you think? Uh, yeah, a little different. We were getting intoxicated with the right stuff. <laughs> um, but anyway, we started, you know, worshiping. The priest that was there started praying over people, and people are just resting in the spirit and um, you know, they got to me and like nothing happened, you know, and I was kind of like, all right, like when is this like Pentecost thing happen? You know, I'm waiting for the flame over my head and, you know, nothing happened. So I was kind of like sitting in the back, like moping to God, like, Hey God, I like pray for this thing. Like, uh, when's this going to happen? You know? And sure enough, at the end of the night, you know, we're kind of closing out and the priest was like, Hey, would anyone like, you know, to pray again for the baptism of the Holy spirit and gift of tongues? And I'm like, yeah, sign me up. And uh, he just laid hands on me, prayed, and I just got filled with a peace that I've, like, never felt before and, you know, rested in the Spirit, which, like, I know there's a lot of opinions about resting in the Spirit. My experience, it's only happened to me, like, once or twice, so I know it's not something I ever force and actually has rarely happened to me. Actually, it hasn't happened to me since that time. Uh, but the peace was so overwhelming that I just re I rested and uh, got up, and this joy was, like, unleashed in me tangibly to where I was, like, giddy laughing. Um, I literally felt, like, intoxicated. I had no other way to describe it and went into the craziest tongues. Like, I couldn't even make up tongues if I tried, right? Uh -huh. I didn't know what they were at the time. I've never heard of the gift of tongues, but it was this explosive experience. Um, and then, you know, a girl that was there, we started praying over, you know, just people at the end, just like thanking God for what he was doing. And, um, this girl had like a torn MCL, ACL, you know, in her knee and the priest was like, Hey, pray over her knee. I was like, what am I going to do? Like, I have no idea what that means, you know? And he's just like, pray over her knee for healing. Pray like a very simple prayer. And all of a sudden she's moving it like no pain jumping up and down takes the brace off like completely healed oh my gosh and i'm just like whoa like my worldview of my god just got a whole lot bigger <laughs> oh. and from that day forward i mean here's the fruit you know i had an increased desire to pray like i had an increased desire for scripture i when i was going to mass and like you know the consecration was happening i was zoned in like i've never been zoned in before and that is a great place to stop and come back because that story is so compelling. We'll be right back inside the family room in moments. Sponsored by Versprite on The Quest. In today's world, cybersecurity is critical for your business. Award-winning Versprite provides solutions to protect your company from hackers. For protection now, see Versprite.com. That's V-E-R-Sprite.com. The Quest thanks Versprite for their support. The Quest presents Pro-Life Minutes. Did you know that if you were born after 1973, one-fourth of your generation is missing? Perhaps that's why so many people longing for their soulmates have not been able to find them. They may have been aborted. Have you wondered who will find the cure for Alzheimer's, cancer, or diabetes? 
God may have already sent someone to discover those cures, but someone's choice ended their life before it began. Society tells us that we are alive because of our mother's choice. The world says that your worth comes from your convenience to others, but the maker of this world tells us otherwise. You are created in the image and likeness of God, full of dignity, and no one can take that away from you. So be not afraid. Let's show the world that every life matters by speaking up for life at every opportunity. For more homegrown wisdom, visit thequestatlanta.com. My name is Father Dan Ketter, a priest of the Archdiocese of Atlanta, and I want to share with you a favorite prayer of mine. This comes from St. Ignatius of Loyola. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and possess. Thou hast given all to me. To thee, O Lord, I return it. All is thine. Dispose of it wholly according to thy will. Give me thy love and thy grace, and this is sufficient for me. Hi, this is Teresa Tamio, host of Catholic Connection, heard every morning right here on this station, and we are so grateful for your listenership. And now's the time that we come to you to ask also, in addition to your listenership, your financial support. Of course, we always ask you to pray for us, most importantly, but we do need your financial partnership. Now, most of these stations have very small staffs, of course, because we're not rolling in the dough, obviously, because we are in this. This is a mission field effort. But the bottom line is this is your home and we're always here for you thanks to our friends at ewtn our programming is provided free of charge but this station has other expenses that must be paid to keep the doors open and the lights on support of your local catholic radio station helps keep shows like this one catholic connection available in your area no matter the amount your gift works to make a difference for you for others and for the future of our catholic radio family please prayerfully consider making a gift right now and we'll talk to you soon to donate, log on to thequestatlanta.com. St. Joseph was a man of few words. In fact, not a single word of his was recorded in Scripture. But the Father of Jesus spoke abundantly in his silence, and he certainly gave us a lot to talk about. Want to go deeper? Listen to the St. Joseph series on your Quest app and on thequestatlanta.com. We're back in the family room, sponsored by Versprite. Right here on AM 1160, The Quest. We're here with Andrew Laubacher. He's an amazingly compelling story. Andrew, thank you for sharing all of that with us. We almost missed our break um, in, <laughs> in the middle of that conversation. So it's compelling, and we're grateful to have you and have you back. One of our traditions is to ask all of our guests to share their favorite family room memory. So what do you, what would, let's try it this way. Please share your family room memory with us. <laughs> Uh, I mean, a couple of things that came to mind were actually playing board games, mm. which is actually funny. I was always like extremely competitive. So I remember like every time I'd lose, you know, I'd cry as a kid. So uh, <laughs> whether it was like, I don't know if we played like Monopoly or like, yeah, we would have a lot of fun, you know, card games. So I kind of remember, you know, that being something I always enjoyed in the living room. Except for the crying part, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> you like crying. Yeah. yeah. I won't name her. Grew out of that. <laughs> I grew out of that eventually, just a couple years ago. You know, well, that's good. We live, we live with the SEC kind of crowd, uh, Southeast. So there's still a lot of crying when losing happens. A lot of us haven't outgrown that. Very good. Very true. That's good. So why don't you bring us back to that story? I mean, great story of like God entering in, the Holy Spirit entering in, and even giving you a gift of healing. You know, when you're unexpected. So what else came out of that? 
Yeah, I'd say from that experience, again, it was just like this increased uh, desire for intimacy with God, you know? So, like, my love for Scripture grew, my love for evangelization grew. You know, at this point, I'm leading a lot of worship on campus. Every Tuesday night, we had praise and worship. And once a month, you know, we had what we call FOP Festival Praise events, where it's a whole school. So I was, you know, leading music in that. And um, it really, yeah, my friends and I, we started going places and praying over people, like on retreats or in Chick-fil-A or in malls. Uh, It just didn't matter where we were. We would find people and pray over them. And just the stories that came out of that were absolutely, you know, incredible. And then, you know, from there, I graduated from Franciscan. I was doing campus ministry at a high school uh, in Southern Orange County called JCRI Catholic High School. And then on weekends, you know, flying out for retreats, just started getting calls to go places, you know, played in uh, Bob Rice's band starting in 2023, or sorry, 2013 on campus at Franciscan, and then just started getting calls to go share my testimony and lead worship places. And, you know, that eventually became my full-time job, career, ministry, you know, really since 2014, you know, started traveling around the world all over Canada, coast to coast, South America, Europe, uh, Jerusalem. And God has just taken me around the world to share his love and share the gospel. And, and it's been a wild experience and led me down so many paths and places. Uh, but I've always been fascinated with healing. And even along the way, I noticed a lot of these healing events I was at in these charismatic settings. I just started to notice that, man, so many people were struggling with you know, kids coming up to me with anxiety and depression and struggling with their health and so many different things. And and I just kind of felt in my heart, like, it just felt like songs weren't enough. Like I wanted to help people more. And I got fascinated with, with healing through nutrition and movements and diet and exercise and started to discover saints, you know, like St. Hildegard of Vigen that, you know, is 11th century healer and mystic and musician and so God started taking me down um, just these other paths of healing that have fascinated me to really help people be whole. Um, along that journey, I had social media platforms myself and was on all of them. And I can honestly say I was addicted to all of them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Facebook, Instagram, you know, traveling and playing these events around the country, you're having to show all the places you're at, all the people you're playing in front of. It just started to feel off to me. And I noticed myself caring a lot about myself and how I looked, comparing myself, you know, and I'm like 25, 26, you know, my friends are getting married. I'm not there. My friends are finding their vocation. I'm not seemingly getting that answer. And so my second album came out and I really felt God calling me to delete all my social media. Wow. So uh, my manager at the time, you know, was like, this is a horrible idea. Uh, <laughs> you know, this is how you're getting events and everything. And I just, I knew it was leading me to sin. It was leading me to lust on every platform. It was leading me to, again, yeah, comparison. We were never designed to be omnipresent. You know, we were essentially mm-hmm. playing God. We can see everything happening in the world all at once. And it was just overwhelming for me. So in 2018, I deleted all my social media. And after that, my ministry went like exponentially more international. I mean, I started going more places around the world. It was totally God. Not one month did I, you know, not make, you know, my bills or go hungry or anything. Like God actually multiplied all of my work. 
Yeah, that was a pretty incredible experience. And, and the fruit of that was, man, just like so much more mental clarity, like growing in purity, like better time for prayer. I wasn't comparing my life to someone every day. And yeah, eventually 2020 hit, probably um, going to be my busiest year. I uh, just played for 10,000 people in D.C. at a huge arena, was in Jerusalem leading worship, and COVID hits. And I fly back home. You know, I'm kind of thinking, all right, if this is the end here, uh, I want to go surfing before we all die. <laughs> yeah, that's so, right. <laughs> you know, went home, and uh, obviously all the music world got shut down. And I discerned with the TOR Franciscans, actually at Franciscan, the priesthood kind of kept coming up over the years, but I was dating and just, you know, nothing was sustaining. It was very difficult to date when you're flying somewhere, you know, three times a week. Mm -hmm. So anyway, 2020 hit and in those four months of just being home and doing online events, uh, God was pretty clear. It's time to enter seminary. So I entered seminary, long story short, was there for a year and a half, discerned out, went to work uh, in politics. I'm fast forwarding through a lot because this is, they're all fun stories, but (laughs) Worked for the governor, uh, DeSantis in Florida, in his faith and community office for a year. While I'm like flying out on the weekends, playing events and conferences, you know, left that job at the end of 2022. Uh, And then 2023, moved to Dallas, Texas, where I was still traveling, leading worship, speaking, trying to settle down and essentially get off the road. And ended up um, taking this job as the executive director for this organization called Humanality. So that is my work now, and we can maybe get into that in a moment if you'd like. But, yeah, um, before we get into that, I do want to camp on a couple of things you said, because there was a quote I'm, I'm going to have to repeat over and over again. I loved what you said, we were never designed to be omnipresent. I think we feel like we were. Yeah. I think we think we were, but only God is omnipresent. That struck me also, and this is terrible. It immediately took me to the Jim Carrey movie. Did you ever think that would come up on the Quest Atlanta? (laughs) Um, And the movie Bruce Almighty, Uh, right, where Jim Carrey is now taking God and all everything's coming in, and he's and it's just like that's exactly I thought of this complete overwhelming. Yeah. And then the mess that ensues when you think you're capable of omnipresence, right? So sorry for that terrible, and you can cut that out, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) I think people can relate. And then the other piece is, yeah, the other piece you talked about, you know, you had talked about how you had such anxiety over the course of your life. You were even mad mad at God about your anxiety. And I was thinking about how much I've read about how social media also increases anxiety. Did you find when you cut out all of your social media in 2018, did you find it, that there was an impact on your anxiety levels? A thousand percent. Yeah. And honestly, what is, you know, when I was talking about these kind of healing rabbit holes that went down, a lot of that was because I wanted to be healed myself. Yeah. Right. You know, right. anxiety is a real looking. cross and people who know panic attacks know it's, it. I mean, it's horrible. And for me, and I'm really convinced of this, I, I ended up starting a, uh, a health coaching company as well. Um, I'm finishing a national board exam actually in a month for health and wellness coaches. And um, I changed my diet. I changed my exercise regimen. I changed the sitting I was doing all day inside, my toxin exposure. I mean, go down the list. Like all those things uh, radically brought healing in my life. I mean, I literally couldn't get on the plane to where, you know, now I'm like been platinum with multiple airlines. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's by the grace of God, but grace builds on nature. And I realized as a whole, we're largely forgetting that God gave us a body mm-hmm. and God gave us nature. And uh, when we get disconnected from those realities, uh, it's really tough to be human right now. And especially with 
my work now is humanality. The main behind that is humans engaging reality. Mm. Uh, we are helping people detox from phone and tech addiction. So that's a large part of our work. And all of the data uh, clinically um, is pointing to the reality that our phones, uh, social media in particular, is direct causal link to increased anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. Just to give you a little bit of the numbers. Uh, so depression has increased 50% from 1990 to 2017. Um, as of right now, uh, 10 to 14 year old girls, the last 12 years had quadrupled, uh, in self-harm, mm. uh, teen depression, loneliness has doubled since 2010. Um, there's quite a large amount of data, uh, from different clinicians and psychologists and MDs that are writing on this topic of, you know, what technology, specifically media, and our phone is doing to us. And there is, uh, I'd say, a incredible opportunity we have right now as a society uh, to kind of reassess if this is um, the way we want to keep living. Because at this point, it's pretty clear that uh, these devices are doing more harm than good. Mm -hmm. And in humanality, we really believe in the good of technology. Like we are communicating right now through technology. It's a good thing. Like we can use this for good, but we're really passionate about helping people become more human again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for a lot of people right now, uh, it actually is clear in the data that it's now in the addiction category, the same yes. with, with drugs. So in the DSM, there are now behavioral addictions uh, related to obviously online gambling, pornography, social media use, phone use that are um, literally as addictive as substances. And you have to detox. You know, there's there's no way to moderate some of these devices. Yeah. And yeah. Um, you would never give an alcoholic a beer and tell them to moderate it. You know, and that's essentially what we're doing when we're giving teenagers and kids and even adults these technologies without creating that intentionality behind it. Well, to your point, too, though, I mean, these were, if you talk to the people that created a lot of these things, whether it's the algorithms behind it, whether it's, you know, the phones themselves, they were designed to addict you. Yeah. They were designed right. to keep pushing content at you that would keep drawing you in and drawing you in. And to your point, it's all good. And I mean, the, the, the perfect example of the devil once again, yeah. right? As things are created for good, and then he abuses it and gets us to abuse it. And next thing you know, we're omnipresent. Yeah. And we're just getting dragged down a rabbit hole. And um, I yeah. think it's awesome. Yeah, there's a book here, uh, Dopamine Nation by Anna Lemke, which is pretty much a deep dive into addiction through this dopaminergic pathway that uh, all of these devices are, uh, you know, literally being paid trillions of dollars to some of the smartest people in the world to keep you engaged yeah. in their content. And, uh, you know, two ways they're doing that is intermittent positive reinforcement. Mm -hmm. So when you're scrolling and you don't know what's going to happen next, you're going to keep scrolling. Yep. yep. Um, and then also it's social approval. So these two drives are so powerful. I mean, when you tell people to give up social media for 30 days, there is, you know, speaking of FOMO, you said earlier, there is such a powerful, yes. I would say, evolutionary biological propensity for social approval that we can't even, like, think about being off of these things for 30 days because we're going to miss out on so much. And, and my encouragement and, and humanity's mission is really to help people discover freedom through an intentional relationship with technology. We're not saying that everyone needs to go back and live in a cave 
and just, you know, not have any devices. But when you understand that, that people are wanting you to be as enslaved as possible to these platforms, you'll actually look at it in a different way. Yes. And you'll probably want your own autonomy back and your own freedom back. Because if we're honest, right now, most of us, I mean, these phones follow us to the restroom, to the bedroom, yep. to the table. Uh, there's really no uh, downtime. There's no boredom anymore. And these things are having very, um, very bad uh, sociological, physiological effects on our society. Yes. So listeners, if you are just joining us, you are here in the family room and we are talking with Andrew Laubacher and a fascinating conversation. His um, new um, company he's created called Humanality. And so he's giving us some great insights. So the statistics you just shared, there are even more of those, but there's some fascinating things you guys are doing to help people break this, to get that autonomy back, right? To be more intentional. Can you tell us more about what you're doing at Humanality to make that happen? Or if there are even more statistics you want to share before you go into that, that's fine too. Yeah. I mean, a couple of ones that are pretty simple that we can all probably see and notice in ourselves <clears throat> is, uh, this is even a 2015 study. Uh, that the average teenager, and we can even get into today's latest data, the average teenager adult is on their phone about six to eight hours a day. Mm. Uh, we're just looking at the thing about 87 times a day. Um, and, you know, the implications of this on our mental health is is showing causal links. So there's a, a writer by the name of Jonathan Haidt who's uh, writing pretty extensively on a lot of this. And so... Yeah, there's clearly a problem. I think everyone knows there's a problem. And the solution that uh, we at Humanality are proposing was initially started by Hope and Justin Schneer. Uh, they are Franciscan grads. They have nine children um, and started this unplugged scholarship at Franciscan University right. where they pay students scholarship money to give up their smartphone for the year and take on a dumb phone. And it made news all over the country. And essentially, it's just kind of blowing up everywhere. And people are super interested in what's happening. So I came on board here in July and we've already expanded to uh, Christendom, University of Dallas, Benedictine and uh, Ave Maria. And we actually, we believe this is a human movement. So we want to get to every university in the country. doesn't matter if you're left, you're right, you're liberal, you're Catholic, you're atheist. I really don't care. I think every person will benefit from uh, the solution that we're proposing, which is um, right now this club model. So if you join the Humanality Club on your college campus, first 30 students get a free light phone. That's L-I-G-H-T, light phone. All that phone does, I have one myself. It's texting and calling. It has an alarm clock, a calculator, uh, a GPS, and a hotspot. And um, so you get the phone. If you join with your smartphone, you still can join the club. You just have to go grayscale mode, which there's a lot of science behind what the colors are doing, at least in the addiction science. So you go grayscale mode, delete your internet and social media from the phone. You can join the club. Um, we'll have monthly meetings where we're going through a lot of these different books and authors sharing the science, what it's doing to us physiologically, spiritually, emotionally, socially, and help give you the tools you need to really detox from uh, your tech. I mean, at this point, these college students have had smartphones most of their life. You know, mm -hmm. this isn't mm -hmm. like I got a smartphone yeah. in college, you know, and my addiction started pretty quickly thereafter. These kids have had it their whole life, you know. So we're also putting on a, a concert. So Humanality Club will put on a live concert for the university once a year. And the cost of admission is your phone. 
Mm-hmm. So you have to go experience live music without a screen and just be there to enjoy <laughs> the moment. Well, what do you do uh, for the encore? I know. We have to go back I to cigarette lighter. Well, I was there. We can't wave the, wave, wave the, the light in front of everybody. I know. You have to tell people that the concert was good. Oh, they can't cheer, just, yeah. They what can't a concept. Watch video. Yeah, and then we'll bring in a, a speaker that's an author of one of these books or on our speaking team or myself. It'll give a presentation. And we're really encouraging kids, you know, if you're unplugging from this phone, what are you plugging into? So we're getting them outdoors. We're getting them woodworking, painting, taking up a new hobby, a new instrument. Like literally people need to be taught how to be human again. Like these basic, Mm. basic things of like social interaction and looking at a person when you talk to them, these things have to be re, re, uh, re taught. Yeah. So that's kind of our club model. And yeah, we're trying to get, to every university in the country, and it's expanding rapidly. So it's a really exciting time for us. It's funny. This reminded me of something, too. And I want to say it was John Paul II in his early papacy. He talked about how great technology is. Yeah. Unless we don't monitor it and unless we don't pay attention to it. Literally said we could become barbarians again. Mm. Because mm-hmm. he knew, think about that in the 70s, he knew that you could become dehumanized. And, and the reason I bring it up is because you keep saying we're being trained to be human again, which is really a pathetic statement in mm-hmm. a lot it's of very ways. True. Mm-hmm. Very true. But how dehumanized we are because we can make That's comments over social media without ever thinking of how we hurt somebody or, you know, we just kind of look at mm-hmm. stuff and, and you don't feel the emotion anymore. Yeah. You know, and I'm thinking about a young girl. I was just talking to her mom yesterday. She's a freshman in college, just started college. She's struggling with some things. But one of the things she said is, Mom, nobody makes eye contact. I walk across the campus and nobody looks at you because everybody's looking at their phone. It's yeah. like a bunch of zombies or something just walking across, looking at their phone. Nobody makes eye contact. And so I'm thinking about people like her. So how do kids get in touch with you if they think, oh, my gosh, I would love to start a humanality um club at my university where do they go yeah if anyone's interested to launch at any university we're in uh so just my email would be a great place to connect andrew at humanality.org great so uh, that's human dot org. um and yeah if even anyone on different boards of different universities or staff or faculty it's it's incredible what's happening on these campuses if you want to be a part of actually transforming the culture on your campus, uh, the Humanality Club is is doing that. I mean, people are learning how to re-engage with each other. And I want to just share this quick quote from uh, uh, Aldous Huxley's book, Brave New World, because yeah. I think it's prophetic. But he says, the development of a vast mass communications industry concerned in the main neither with the true nor the false, but with the unreal the more or less totally irrelevant, fail to take into account man's almost infinite appetite for distractions. Wow. So we really you know, want to emphasize that, uh, again, technology is good. Not everyone needs to get rid of their smartphones. Uh, but if we don't create those uh, intentional habits around our technology, we're living in perpetual distraction. And I really believe why so many young people and people are leaving faith and leaving God is because uh, we're not communicating with them. We're, mm-hmm. we're constantly distracted. If you're in traffic, if you're stuck in a line, uh, we, we, the first thing we do is, is whip out our phones. And if we're honest, um, if you start to look around, I've just noticed, like, I, you know, I don't have a smartphone anymore. 
I'm at restaurants. I, you know, the other day I went and got a meal and was just waiting, you know, for my meal and just looked around and every person, two couples, married couple across dinner from each other, just scrolling. Yeah. Uh, at dinner the other day, a kid, full iPad, kid, full iPad, both parents on their phones. It's, you know, it's, it's bad. I was sharing, Andrew, before we got on the air with you, I was sharing with Mari and Craig. I drove um, on Wednesday, I drove past a soccer practice and our kids did sports, swimming and track meets. And so that was always a big yeah. social time. You met with parents and grandparents, mm-hmm. chatter, and occasionally you watch the event. Like when your kid was running, you paid attention. Otherwise it was a big social gathering. And I drove past a soccer practice and there were several teams on the field practicing and there were little clusters of parents. And I defined cluster as one parent and one cell phone. And it wow. was, that's, that was everybody. What, what I, what I grew up with as our kids grew up was what that was the big social event was now clusters of people on their cell phones. And, and just, not even yeah. really engaging the kids activity. And, yeah. And this was in a zip code we all know and love where there might be a highly Catholic influence. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. I want to leave too with, with the, with the shame. I think sometimes really initially uh, people can feel a lot of shame when you start to hear about this because we're all addicted mm-hmm. and maybe your kids are addicted and you're like, I didn't know about any of this. I mean, the average age exposure now of pornography is seven years old, right? So maybe if you're a parent, you're listening, you're freaking out because you're like, what am I supposed to do? Uh, we want to help you along that healing process. There's also an organization called Stream Strong that we're partnering with that is helping educate people. But I just want people to feel and understand that, like, this isn't your fault. You know, like, this isn't something we knew was going to happen to us. And there is a way forward. And just to know that there is hope, like this sounds really obviously dark and gloomy, but there is a way forward. And uh, we want to be a part of that. Uh, Just wanted to get that in there because I know that can be uh, a little overwhelming. That is great. And as you offer that hope, would you close us in prayer? Because you have given us a lot of hope and we appreciate that today, Andrew. Let's do it. In the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we just thank you for this day. Thank you for... Uh, the gift of technology. Thank you for giving us um, each other. Thank you for giving us your grace. Thank you for giving us your son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit and the Father. And we just ask that every person listening, Lord, would just experience your peace that surpasses all knowledge, uh, that we would just rest in the reality that, God, you are in control, that there's nothing chaotic, uh, there's nothing um, too big, there's nothing too confusing too overwhelming for you, God, uh, but you are omnipotent. You are above it all, and you love us, and you're pursuing us, and your mercy is new every day. So we just ask you to continue to bless um, just all of our work, all of our ministry, all of our jobs and families, and help us re-engage reality together in a more human way. And we just ask uh, just for your blessing on this station and all of their work. And Lord, just thank you for the gift of this moment. This is where you are. This is where we want to meet you. So we just give you all the glory as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andrew. We will put all of your resources on our show notes. Join us again here next week in the family room where we offer hope, encouragement, truth, and wisdom for families. Thanks for hanging out with us in the family room, sponsored by Versprite. For more info, go to thequestatlanta.com.